don't normally start out with dreams, but based on what you just said, I want to I want to tell a dream that was given to me. It actually was emailed to me April the thirtieth, and um, but I didn't meet with the person until yesterday about the dream. And uh, how many of y'all believe in dreams? How many of y'all believe dreams are significant? I do. And uh, <laughs> a little emotional here. I'll be okay. Somebody back here has been crying behind me. Y'all just got me cranked up and going. How many of y'all the Holy Spirit comes out your eyes? He said, this dream is about honey buckets. And he said, I dreamed that we had the gathering. The gathering is, is the meeting I do on Thursday night up at Karma's and Coleman at 7. Y'all are welcome. Come anytime you want to come. We have a great time, don't we? We knock a few people out, but hey, we have a great time, don't we? But anyway, he says, I dreamed we had the gathering at a pole barn on our land in Eva. There was what felt... There was what felt like a hundred, couple of hundred people. They're all standing under the roof of this open-sided barn. I remember there being uh, my wife and I, and we wanted you to pray over us. Now, the setting was is that there was a barn. It, it really was just kind of a, it, it was a covering. It, it was a roof with poles, had six poles. That's all it was. It had no sides to it at all. So a couple hundred people out there, so he said, uh, we wanted you to pray over us, but there were so many people, so we waited <coughs> until only six couples were left. The rest of the people had moved out from under the roof and away from the barn, but still were within sight. I couldn't see you, but I looked at the other five couples who were waiting for prayer like we were and noticed that each of us were standing next to one of the support columns for the roof of this barn. So basically there were six poles, six posts that held the roof system. They were all standing by each of the poles. Got it? And um, it said above each of the couples was an empty beehive bucket. That was hanging on a nail. I call it a beehive bucket because it looked like a beehive, but it was a solid bucket specifically meant for holding honey. Then I saw you walking over to one of the couples. And as you began praying over them, as you spoke, your words came out like honey and began to fill up their bucket. As you spoke, your words came out like honey and began to fill up their bucket with actual honey. As you finished speaking, the couple would then take the bucket of honey with them. Then you moved to the next couple and began praying. Again and again, their bucket began filling with honey, and then I woke up. I don't know really what this is about, but I've been dreaming a lot about you lately, and I hope you find this encouraging. I, I read you that story because of what you said, and the dream, the interpretation is the roof and the columns. The roof system was covering, and the columns had to do with those that were helping hold the covering up. The buckets had to deal with what was being caught. The words that were being spoken were life and honey. 
And I think it was interesting that each of those columns was a couple who received. And I walked in. I walked in today. When I did, I looked at you. And I was almost dumbfounded. Because I looked and you had one of those buckets over your head. And the Lord told me, he said, these are one of the ones holding up the covering. There's ones that's come under the covering. And I saw you and Patty with a bucket full of honey. Does that make sense? And I know it sounds crazy and sappy, but I don't care. It's truth. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like that you guys are very integral in part. And whenever you talked, to, you said what you said about covering, just affirmed the fact that there's, there's words spoken that are life, that are life-giving honey. But here's the deal. You didn't keep it for yourself. You took it and you gave it away. And I think we look at those kind of things. Sometimes we take for granted those that God gives us to run with, those that God gives us to have relationship with. And I think sometimes we got to go back and say, God, thank you that we are attached to a group of people. And I, I won't tell you all this. Because of you, I get to be attached to y'all. Does that make sense? And y'all have no idea what that means for me. I mean, basically, over the last few months, I've been, getting over, I've been giving over 100 churches to oversee. Don't have any idea how it's going to happen. But you know what? God knows. And you know, the thing about it is we got to know that the Lord's moving us all in a, in, a, in a place to where we'll be faithful to carry. Amen? So this honey bucket deal is pretty strong. I probably need to send you that and just let you look at it. And I felt like the Lord was really uh, saying something. I, I want to say God's doing something that is so strong and so unique here that you got to learn how to grab hold. There's something about the presence of the Lord that we have to grab hold of and never turn loose of. And while we were worshiping tonight and or this morning, while we were talking about, you know, being able to look into the face of the one that we love and being able to, to encourage, be encouraged in the Lord. Guys, I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. There's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the body of Christ. But right now is a time where we need to capitalize on what God is doing. How many of y'all feel that right now? How many of y'all are feeling like there's more? There's a more of the Lord that is being released right now. And prophetically, one of the things I think that is very, very significant is the fact that God's calling us into a dimension for the more. And it's not that what we have is less than or not enough. What it means is God's got more for us to encounter. Wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, do not be discouraged because God's about to take you into the more. Does that make sense? And I really felt like the Lord was really saying some things. You came down here, we're praying just a little while ago, and I told you, I stopped just a minute ago, walked back there and told you when I saw you, I felt like the Lord had a word for you. And it was interesting because when you came down here and prayed, I, I, I have visions a lot of times for people. I had several visions for many of y'all I'm going to talk about throughout my teaching time today and, and in ministry time. But while you were kneeling and praying, I saw a winding road. And while you were praying, the Lord was straightening the road out. It was crazy. You weren't making all the left and the right turns on the windy road. It's like whenever you started on the road, the curve straightened out. And, and, the, and, and he was making the way straight. And I heard the Lord say, tell her that I'm making the highway. He didn't call it a road. He called it a highway. He said, I'm making the highway straight before her. And as she talks to me, as she asks me, as she began to pray, I will begin to show her how to run on the highway, H-I-G-H-W-A-Y, which basically means the high. You can either go low or you can go high. You are on the highway. 
Does that make sense? So the Lord says he's making the highway before you, and there's not going to be the turns. There's not going to be the crooks. There's not going to be the hairpin curves. God's going to make it straight before you get there so that you'll be able to move with swiftness and you'll be able to move with acceleration into the things that God has before you. This is really an encouraging day for you. And some of the things I'm going to say today is going to be so true and ring so real in your heart. It's going to be amazing. So you grab hold of what God's doing. The crooked ways are being made straight, and it's the highway, not a road, but a highway God's putting before you. Amen. Isn't that good? I believe, how many of y'all want that? I believe I'll take that for me. If you don't mind, I'm going to tag on to your word. I need that for my life right now. How many of y'all been on some, on some crooked roads lately? I'm like, Lord God, can I please get on a straight one? I was, I was speaking out, uh, out in far, far west Texas last week, and uh, it was kind of funny because I, the first weekend of every month, I go out and do a prophetic school and a school supernatural, and I, I had to go by and pray for a ranch. One of the guys out there who is a rancher ranches 200 sections of land. That's 126,000 acres. You need a helicopter for that, really. You can't drive that deal. And so this guy, you know, he said, I want you to run by and pray. And it was kind of funny that they were in a drought. And I was out there last month and, and praying, and they said, we need rain. And he looked at me and said, I heard that whenever you go places, it starts raining. And I started laughing. I said, where'd you hear that? Well, somebody had told me about you going down in Florida. And every time you go to Florida, and there's a specific town that I go to in Florida. And y'all, I'm not kidding. Every time I go, it rains while I'm there. It'll either be raining when I drive in, raining when I drive out, or I'll be preaching, or I'll be in there, and it'll just start raining for no reason. So he said, we need rain out. Out here and I said, okay, let's agree for five inches of rain. Now, what was interesting was there was no forecast for rain whatsoever. There were no clouds in the sky. It was evening. You could look in the sky and, and, and at night, and there were just stars everywhere. And he said, let's believe God. We need five inches of rain. He said, my pastures are, are drying up. He said, the vegetation's dying. He said, we're having to pump water in. We need water. We need rain. Can you, can you believe? I said, yeah, we're going to believe for five inches of rain. We were standing there praying. Now, when I pray for stuff like that, I never close my eyes. I watch to see what's going on. And while I'm praying, it starts lightning off in the north. And I look around and I said, look at there. It's, it's lightning. We continue to pray. We left. I went back to my hotel where I was staying. Got up the next morning, and there were water puddles all over, over the parking lot. I looked out, and my car was cut. My Yukon was covered with, with raindrops. And I thought, well, isn't this amazing? When I was out there last weekend, they said, since you prayed, we've got 19 inches of rain so far. And it was raining again that day. And for the first time in years... The, the desert that was literally burned up was green. It was crazy. I mean, the trees were green. The grass was green. They, out there, they call them buffalo wallows. There's big old places where and the buffalo wallows were filled up with, with, uh, with, with water. The, the uh, ponds were filled with water. What, what, you, what we call ponds in Alabama, they call tanks out there. All their tanks were full of water. I even went by one of the big duck ponds that they had in the center of the city, and it was like four feet, you know, almost dry. It was running over and across the street, and I was just kind of laughing. I said, God, we asked you for five. You gave 19, and it's still raining. You're a God of exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. And it was so crazy because God is releasing such a rain. And I told him, I said, the rain that is happening in the natural speaks of the rain in the Spirit. Now, the reason I'm telling you all that story is this. You get what you ask for. 
okay, let me say it again. Now, if you don't respond, I'm going to back up and start all over because I'm going to think you're not listening, all right? So stay with me. You get what you ask for. How many of you know you pursue, what you pursue is what you possess? Now, those are little things. We need to remind, I possess what I pursue. I get what I ask for. And uh, there's several things. I'm going to take you to several passages of Scripture. Honestly, today it's kind of like uh, when I say open your Bible and I'll be there in a minute. I mean, I'm serious about that today. I mean, I really am. But Jesus says something in Mark 11 that I want to take you to. And I'm just going to drop here and then I'm, I'm going to talk about several other things. So really, uh, today I'm putting together a lot of thoughts for you because there's so much that I, that I do want to say that I feel like the Lord is really speaking to us right now. And in Mark chapter 11... Uh, Jesus, in verse 20, had cursed a fig tree, and, the, and Peter and them came by and reminded him, you know, this fig tree that you cursed uh, is withered from the roots up. And Jesus said, yes, verse 22, have faith in God truly. I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he said is going to happen, it shall be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted you. So it's interesting because... I feel like the Lord is really saying something to us about this speaking to the mountains and learning how to pray effectively. And it really goes back to something that happened to me the last time I was here. And I want to tell you about what, what really happened after many of y'all had already left. It was really in ministry time, and I told John about I didn't even tell John about it that day because I had to really deal with it. I later on talked, told him about what was going on, what God was doing. But, you know, there's an old... There's an old uh, cliche that I feel like that sometimes we need to go back and revisit, and that is you don't ever tell uh, God how big your mountain is. You tell your mountain how big your God is. You with me? And I mean, that's kind of a play on words, so to speak, but there is a lot of truth in the fact that, you know, we cannot just simply uh, complain to God about the way things are, the way things have been, we got to learn how to look at our mountain and be able to say, listen, this is what God has to say about you. Now, there's an interesting thing about the fig tree. The fig tree literally was uh, there to produce fruit, but it wasn't the season to have fruit. Does that make sense? It wasn't the fact that the fig tree never produced fruit. It just wasn't the season for it to produce. It wasn't the time. But Jesus went and looked at the fig tree and he was, he was hungry. He wanted a fig off the tree. What's not fair is it was not harvest of figs. But even when Jesus wanted a fig from the tree and it didn't produce what he wanted, he cursed the fig tree and it withered from the roots up. Now, the reason I'm telling you all that is this. You, you need to get in your mind something about Jesus, okay? When, when you're walking with Jesus... You're always in season. Good, good word. All right? Yeah. Write that down. It'll come back to you probably in a few days. Really when you're walking with Jesus, you're always in season. All right? What I mean by in season is when the fig tree is in season, it will produce fruit. When it's out of season, it may have, it may have leaves on it. It may not. It depends on the season it's in. When it's out of season, it's not time to receive fruit from the tree, but when it's in season, not only do you know that you can get fruit from it, you expect to get fruit from it. Now, how many of y'all know that there are times that you know things and times you expect things? All right? 
I know, I know that, you know, we're in a time right now where the peach tree, I love peaches, the peach trees have peaches on them. I know that. But right now, I'm not expecting to get a peach off that tree. Number one, I can't carry it on the airplane with me this evening. So I'm not looking and expecting for a peach to come off the tree. Now, when I get back home, I'm probably going to go get me a, a, a little bitty basket of peaches because I love peaches, and it's the season for peaches. I mean, I, I know that this is the time that the harvest is here. But I don't have expectancy now. Tomorrow I will have an expectancy. But with Jesus, it's always in season. Therefore, knowing that it's in season, the expectancy is there. So Jesus was able to walk up to a tree he was, he was expecting to get fruit from the tree out of season in the natural realm, but in the season of, that he lived in, that expectation was there. Now, now why was it there? And, I, and I'm going somewhere, and you need to hang on. Why was it there? Because he didn't live by um, the natural kingdom. He did not live by the world that he was in. He lived by his father's kingdom. Therefore, his expectation was, if I say to that tree, you're going to have a fig on it, it doesn't matter what season in the natural realm it is, that tree has got to produce a fig because he said so. Everybody say, he said so. So we, we got to learn what that's about. Now, let, let, me, let me add to, we're going to come back fig tree in a minute, all right? I'm going to leave it and we'll be back. Y'all keep that. Everybody say, he said so. Turn your neighbor and say, he said so. Point your finger at them and say, he said so. Now, you're going to have to get that because I'm going to come back to it and I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But I'm going to take you through a couple other things, all right? I was down here praying, and John and I were talking before, and he said, I want you to really pray that the Lord will really revive and refresh prayer. We need, we need prayer stirred up in our church. And, and, and I, we, we, need, we need God to do this, and we talked about all the things we need, and so, I mean, I was down here, and, and John, John was with me. I mean, I was crying and snotting and carrying on. I mean, I was right there. I mean, I was bawling and scrawling, burning up Kleenexes, you know, wasn't I? I mean, I was just totally undone. And I'm, I'm crying out to God, God, I'm asking you to restore prayer in this house, restore prayer among these people, refresh prayer, prayer in their life. God, re restore the Word in them, refresh it. And I'm in there, and I mean, I'm going after it, and right in the middle of me, I mean, I'm pressing into the Lord. I mean, I'm, I'm praying in tongues. I'm praying in my natural. I mean, I'm doing everything I know to do in order to get God to do something. And all of a sudden, in the middle of my praying, the Lord spoke, and this is what He said, I'm not going to do it. And I, 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 it's one of those deals. Have you ever thought you heard the audible voice of the Lord? Now, sometimes people say, I don't know if I've ever heard that. Well, if you, if you ever speak, you'll know it. I mean, I've heard it a number of times. And I mean, this was, I was down there praying, and I heard him say, I'm not going to do it. And I stopped, and I said, Lord, why? Why would you not do that? I don't get it. I, Lord, you're, I, I'm here pressing in, and I'm asking you to do it, and you say you're not going to do it. God, why? Why are you not going to do this? And this is what he said. He said, I'm God. I've already done everything that I'm going to do about prayer. I've already made a way. I've already established. I've already made covenant. I've already sent Jesus. He's already died on the cross. I've, sh I've shed his blood in the earth. I have made covenant with you through him. I've sent you the Holy Spirit. I've done everything. 
He said, I'm not going to restore prayer. You tell the people that if they'll pray, I'll respond. If they will restore it, I'll meet them there. And he took me to Jeremiah 33.3 and he said, Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. And all of a sudden, while I'm in this prayer, and he said, By the way, Ron, don't ever ask me to do something that you have to do yourself. That statement hamstrung me. Because in that moment, all of a sudden... I realized I have been begging God to do things in my life and then I fuss at him because he doesn't do it and God's saying to me, that's not my responsibility, that's yours. I'm not going to do that. You got to do that and I will respond to what you do. Now listen, everybody say I'm listening. Everybody say he said so. There are things in our life, ladies and gentlemen, that we are asking God to do We are frustrated. We are discontent. Now, nobody will ever say this. Honestly, we're mad at God because He did not do what we asked Him to do when in reality, the Lord is in heaven and He's saying, that's not my deal. That's not what I'm going to do. If you'll do it, I'll respond. If you will speak, I will... Listen, now listen. I'm putting all this together because I want you to understand where we're going. I feel like this is probably one of the foundations that is missing in the Church of America. But the Lord has really driven me deep in this area. And he took me over and started talking to me about wineskins. And, and, and in this area of going into this depth of, of taking my rightful place in the kingdom, my rightful place as a son of God, when I take that place in the Lord, one of the foundational principles is this, is that God responds to those things that I bring before him. Now, prayer prayer is not catching up God on everything that's happened. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is far more than that. However, there is a portion of prayer that we say and do things that are in agreement with God, and because it's in agreement with God, God responds to that kind of a deal. But here's the thing that we need to realize. I mean, most of us have said this in our life, in our prayer life. Well, you know, Jesus is making intercession for me. Jesus is praying for you. Uh, Larry Lee, whenever he, he did his, uh, many of y'all may know that from days gone by, he did a whole teaching on could you not tarry one hour. And what he did was he, he literally wrote a book and developed a prayer ministry based upon the Lord's Prayer. And the whole thing was really about learning how to, to step into that place of prayer. And one of the The principles of that book is Jesus is praying for you. And I think sometimes that we get this thing in our spirit, we get this thing in our Christian life, well, Jesus is praying for me and all this is happening. And we're we're going and we're asking God to do things with that mindset of the Lord's praying for me. Now I'm praying for God and I'm asking God to do this and he's going to do that. And, and we literally take what is spoken of in John 14, 15, and 16. I'm not going to go there today. Just write it in your notes and go back and read it. In the middle of that whole uh, 14, 15, and 16, and, and even over in 17 in the priestly prayer, Jesus is talking about, you know, how important it is we draw near to him, we walk with him, a relationship to him. And he also said this, you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so we take that verse, it's kind of like, okay, God, I'm going to ask you now, you're going to do it. 
And, and what we've done is, and we, we haven't intentionally done it, it's not been anything anybody has just said, okay, I'm going to do it and sit down and let God just send it. What, we, what we've done is we've misinterpreted what he meant by that. And so what we do is it's kind of like, John, I need God to do something, so I'm going to come and I'm going to pray. Lord, I need you to do this. Therefore, when I ask you, I expect you to do this for me. You said if I ask anything in your name, you'll do it. So we live in that position where we're asking God to do things. But in reality, there's just some things that God is requiring for us to do, and his response is going to be the fulfillment of those things that we have brought before him. Does that make sense? Now, hang on, it's going to come clear, all right? And I know it's a little fuzzy, but as I go through this, it's going to really make some, some realization. So we can't just take that adage of, well, if I pray, you know, I, I can ask God, restore prayer, bring revival, do this. Let me ask you a question. Is it right for me to pray for revival? This is Hansville Ablaze Revival Center. Is it right for me to pray for revival but yet never talk to anybody about Jesus? That's right. Good word. But we're asking God, send revival, send revival, send revival. Well, let me ask you this. When we walk out of here asking God to send revival, what are we doing to create it? Now, let me, let me give you three things about the kingdom of God. <laughs> three, but it's like this, okay? Three things, but here it is. Create an atmosphere, develop a culture, begin a movement. Create an atmosphere, develop a culture, begin a movement. Or it can be create an atmosphere, develop a culture, begin a movement. Depend on. You know, the, the, you got to realize anytime you're going to have revival, the first thing you, do, you have to do is create an atmosphere for it. Then you have to develop a culture of it. And revival is not a meeting or a wham, bam, fill up the house kind of it. Revival is a culture. Once you develop a culture, then you begin a movement, all right? Don't have time to go into that anymore than to just leave it at this. When I create an atmosphere, he develops, I can develop a culture, and then we can begin a movement. Now, that's what Jesus was doing. A period of 400 years had come along, totally dead silent, no prophet speaking, nothing. 400 years, dark ages. On, on comes the scene of a guy named John the Baptist. And John's coming in and he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First word from heaven for 400 years. How would y'all like to live 400 years without God saying anything? I mean, some of y'all get all down in the dumps if you don't get a prophetic word every time a prophet Come shows on. up, right? Well, God doesn't love me. He didn't give me a word. I believe I'll just pout. Really, is that going to get you somewhere? I doubt it. But anyway, <laughs> the thing about it is we, we live our life. It's kind of like I got to have this. I got to have that. I want that. But the truth is th there's a period of 400 years God wasn't saying anything. So these people had to live through a 400-year period of time, which is more than one generation. They had to live through a 400-year period of time with absolutely nothing. There was this great chasm. Then comes this guy named John, and he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's on the way. He's preaching. Jesus comes out. All of a sudden, he baptizes Jesus. 
Jesus comes out of the water, goes into the wilderness for a period of 40 days, tested by Satan himself. And, and let me just make one little comment about that. People say, well, the, Satan's testing me. I doubt it. You probably got a little old demon testing you. I don't think you probably got the main dude up there. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus is not tested by a, de- a demon. He's tested by Satan himself. He overcomes and he comes out. And when he comes out after that period of 40 days, you know what he's saying? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It went from coming to arriving. Now, let me ask you a question, all right? This is about John. This is about Jesus. What was the first miracle Jesus ever did? My reply has always been wedding feast of Cain in Galilee. Is that what you've been told? That's what I've been told. First notable miracle, first recorded miracle we have of Jesus is whenever he turned the water into wine. Got it? Do we, yeah, I believe that all my life. You know what I found out? That's not true. It's not true at all. You know what the first miracle was Jesus did? The first miracle is found in the book of Luke. Found in the first part of Luke. In fact, I'm going to show it to you right quick. Flip over, if you would, to Luke. And uh, when, you, when you see this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your mind. You're going to think, I never saw it that way before. Turn your neighbor and say, get ready. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When you get there, say, I'm ready. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the first miracle Jesus did. Isn't it crazy to think about Jesus in utero was filling people with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that Mary greeted Elizabeth? And whenever he, when she greeted Elizabeth, John, and, and, and here's what we've done. We said, well, you know, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, but nobody ever talks about Elizabeth. What does the Bible say? Both of them were. That's a pretty good miracle. What do you think? Would you consider it a great miracle? Is anybody in here pregnant? Do you know anybody that's pregnant? What would you think? Now, just think about it. What would you think if somebody who was pregnant went and greeted a a woman? I say somebody, a woman. I'm going to make sure I make that real clear today in our culture. There was a woman who was pregnant with a child, and she greeted one of her friends or one of her relatives who was also pregnant with a child. And when she said, hey, how you doing? The Holy Spirit shot out of her into the life of that other woman, and she and the baby that she was carrying in her womb were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you call that a miracle or not? Now, let me ask you a question. You reckon that was about Mary? I doubt it. It was about Jesus. It was in the womb of Mary. Mary being full of the Holy Spirit because of the declaration of Gabriel at the announcement of what she was to do. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. The Spirit of God was inside of her. Jesus was a living being. He had not been born yet, but life does not begin at birth. It starts at conception. Well, why wouldn't Jesus start doing miracles at conception? 
Why wouldn't he feel Elizabeth and John the Baptist? That's the first recorded miracle that we have. So now you can go talk to all you wonderful Bible scholars that you know out there and say, hey, you're teaching this thing the wrong way. Let me show you the first miracle. Now here's what's interesting to me. The very first thing Jesus did in utero of Mary was to release the Holy Spirit to somebody that had a destiny and a purpose in the Lord. Now listen to me. Say I'm listening. How in the world did what was inside of Mary get out into Elizabeth? Her mouth. What was coming out of her mouth? Come on, this is not a trick question. What was coming out of her mouth? Words. And guess who was behind the words? And Jesus spoke. It is as he says. Jesus spoke. What did he do over here at the fig tree a minute ago we're talking about? He did what? Oh, isn't that interesting? He spoke to a fig tree, and a fig tree withered from the roots up. And whenever this fig tree withered from the roots up, the same words were coming out of Mary. Elizabeth and John were filled with the Holy Spirit because of Jesus in the womb. It wasn't about Mary. It was about Jesus. Turn your neighbor and say it's about Jesus. Because Jesus was operating in the womb of his mother, he was releasing what he came to release. Now, I've been on this wine skin and this wine deal, and, and you look, and, and if you go to uh, Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 7, all right, and I'm, I'm going to give you these so you, you, you have them and you can go back and read them. And if you've been coming on Thursday nights, I've been teaching a lot on this lately, but, but I want you to get this in your spirit. In Luke chapter 9... Um, Verse 17, all right, is one. The other one is found in Luke. And it's found in Luke chapter 5, verse um, 37 through 39. Verses 37 through 39. So what happened was Jesus came and he was talking. And he said, you don't put new wine in a no wineskin. Because if you do, the wineskin will burst. And then all of the new wine will be spilt out on the ground and both will be lost. But you put new wine in a new wineskin so that both may be preserved. And here's what's interesting. In, in Luke chapter uh, 7, or, or Luke chapter 5, there's something that's, that, that is said there that just, I mean, I, I've sat there and I've pondered for years and years and years about this. Verse 39 says something that it doesn't say in the Matthew passage, and it's this. And no one after drinking old wine wishes for the new, for he says the old is good enough. Now, just leave that up there for a second if you would, Ashton, and I'm on a, then we'll go on. Here's what you got to realize. We got new wine. We got new wine skins. John comes, 400 years silence, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes along, we went through that, now he's teaching the kingdom of heaven is here. And so all of a sudden, he, he looks at him and he said, guys, y'all need to realize that old wineskin y'all have can't hold what I'm about to do. So what you need to do is you need to get a new wineskin. Now, what is the new wineskin that he was talking about? The new wineskin was the kingdom. It was the gospel of the kingdom. That's what the wineskin was. He's basically saying this. You had Judaism. You had a belief system. And, and if you remember one time, and I don't have time to go here today, but you remember one time there, that Jesus came, he looked at him, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to what? 
To what? Full what? Did he fill till it was full? When he said, I fulfill it, he filled it till it was full. I fulfilled the law and the promise, which basically means that's done. I filled that up. That's an old wineskin. Now, I've got to bring you a new wineskin. And when he brought this new wineskin to him, he said, now, listen, you can't take the new wine that I'm going to be pouring out to you and put it in that wineskin because if you do, it will break that wineskin. You're going to have to get a new wineskin in order to put the new wine into the new wineskin so that that wineskin will have the filling of the new wine and both will be preserved. Now, here, here's what you got to understand. One of the reasons that the old wineskin can't handle the new wine is that new wine, when it is put in a wineskin, it literally changes, and, and, and allow me to use the term, the wine conforms the wineskin to itself. What happened was the wine starts changing in the wineskin, and so this wineskin starts changing with the wine, but the wineskin doesn't tell the wine what it will become. The wine tells the wineskin what it will become, and the wineskin is conformed to the wine. So when you put new wine in an old wineskin, the old wineskin cannot handle the change that the new wine is bringing to it. And so what happens under the pressure of change and transition, the new wine rips the old wineskin, and the tragedy is the old wineskin is ruined, and the new wine that is in the old wineskin is spilled out on the ground and it's no good anymore. So Jesus said this, I'm not going to pour, I'm not going to pour my new wine in an old wineskin. I'm not going to put it in an old belief system. I'm not going to put it in an old way of doing things. I'm putting my wine in a new wineskin. So you're going to have to get a new wineskin because guys, listen, they can't handle it. And a lot of people think Jesus was always picking on the Pharisees and the Jews. He wasn't. He was a Jew himself. Jesus was interesting. He was a, he, he, he I hate to say this, he was a Heinz 57, but he really was. I mean, he, he was the son of God, which was way beyond anything. Have y'all ever thought about this? This is just food for thought. Okay, I'm going to just chunk something out here and let you worry about it after a while. Have you ever thought about Jesus just wasn't Jew? He was everything. Listen, do you, is God the God of the Jews or is he God of the whole world? Jesus was everything when he came. He came as a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen, but yet he was a savior of the whole world. So therefore, Jesus identified with every nationality, every ethnic group. He, he Literally, he was it and they were him. That's why when everybody comes to Jesus, they have an affinity and they can call him Savior and Lord God and Father because Jesus was everything. I mean, he literally was every ethnic group, nation in the earth that has ever been, period. Yes, he was a Jew. He was born as a Jew. But the thing about it is it went way beyond that. So basically it's what Jesus said. Listen, what I'm about to bring can't be contained with the Jews because i got to run it all over the whole world. It wasn't the fact that he was, he was picking on the Jews. He wasn't. He, he wasn't being mean to them. But what he had was fulfilling everything that they believed. And then once he filled them, he fulfilled them. He filled them to full. Then he was able to say, fine, now let's get this new wineskin. And here's the new wineskin of the kingdom. The kingdom comes. And the whole message, and if you go back and look in the first part of Matthew, you can read this. The whole message Jesus taught from the time that he came on the scene until the time he was crucified, the whole message was the gospel of the kingdom. 
Now, here's what's something that's real interesting, all right? Y'all tracking with me? Y'all all right? Everybody doing good? Turn your neighbor and say, wake up. It's fixing to come together. He's preaching the kingdom. But he took it a little further. Now, I'm about to come back to this. I'm not going to do it. You do it, and I'll respond to what you do, okay? I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, so keep that in your mind. Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom, but the difference between John and Jesus, Jesus was saying, I mean, John was saying it's coming. Jesus comes on the scene. He said it's here, but he took it a step further because John did not operate in the supernatural. He didn't operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. And you go back and you look in Matthew, what it says over here in the beginning, if you look in uh, verse um, 23, this is Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 23 through 25, Jesus in those verses of Scripture begins to talk about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached the kingdom, but he began to demonstrate the kingdom. John talked about it. Jesus showed up, talked about it, and did it. And what happened was he brought a wineskin, but he didn't bring us an empty wineskin. He brought us a wineskin, then he filled it up. The new wine is the wine of the Spirit. It is the Spirit of the Lord that is operating inside of us. It is what conforms. Now listen to me. We cannot tell God what this thing is going to look like because the wineskin doesn't tell the wine what it's supposed to be. The wine tells the wineskin what it wants to be. Therefore, when God fills me with His Spirit... I, as a son of God, ladies, you as, as daughters of God, as sons and daughters of God, as children of God, the wine conforms us. So when you try to limit God, guess what? Doesn't work very well. When you tell God, this is what I want to be, that doesn't work very well. Whenever you come in and you begin telling the new wine what it's going to be as a wineskin, it doesn't work well because God thinks, imagine God thinking this, God thinks that the wine ought to change the wineskin. So now I got to get in the position where I become what he said. Now say this with me. It is as he says. It's in the Bible somewhere. Go look it up. It's about the crucifixion. It is as you say. But really the truth is, it is as he says. He spoke, therefore it happened. He spoke to a fig tree out of season because in the kingdom it's always in season. You see, Jesus said be instant in season and out of season. That's part of the word that is given to us in Scripture. And so we got to learn how to walk in season. Jesus thought everything was in season. Therefore, he could walk up to a fig tree in the wintertime. Now, I'm not saying it was winter at this time, but he could walk up to the fig tree in the wintertime and say, hey, I want a fig out of you. And he could reach up there and expect a fig to be on that tree because of the supernatural. Now, I'll tell you why we're, we're frustrated as Christians in America. We got leaves, but no fruit. We got these leaves that are up, but we have no fruit. So what's happening is we're, 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 operating, we're operating by the seasons of the earth rather than the seasons of God. And God has one season, His. <laughs> Somebody asked me one time, said, does God have four seasons? I said, no, He does not. We got four seasons in the earth. God only has one, His season. Because it doesn't matter where Jesus comes 
it is as he says. He speaks it, therefore it is. And, and so this whole fig tree thing was really, really powerful. And then he tells the story. He said, uh, here's the deal, man. You know, Peter, you didn't understand. Have faith in God. And whenever you come up and you have this mountain out there and you look at it, don't be telling that God how big that mountain is and how you can't get over it. What you need to do is you need to tell that mountain how big your God is. And he says, when you learn how to pray in faith, believing that you have received, it will be granted to you. You see, Jesus was looking at him saying, my season is to produce at all times. I'm going to tell you a couple more stories. One of them has to do with the Matthew passage of the wineskin and the wine. Jesus was being summoned by a Roman official. This is in Matthew chapter 9. I'll tell you the story. You can go read it. Jesus is summoned by a Roman official. My daughter's died. Please come and lay your hands on her. She may live. So he said, okay. So Jesus takes off with this Roman official. Everybody say Roman official. Wasn't a Jewish priest, it's a Roman official. So he's headed toward this Roman official's house while he's on the way. Now, how many of y'all know there are more miracles on the way than sometimes there are at the destination? While he's on the way, this woman's crawling through the crowd on her hands and knees, had an issue of blood for years, and she's crawled on her hands and knees. She's just thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so... She's crawling through here, and Jesus looks, and he says, I want you to understand, okay, we're talking about Matthew chapter 9 here. He turned around, he looked at her, and he said, Daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well. So she got healed. Now, what did Jesus do to her, to heal her? He spoke to her. Talked to a tree, now he's talking to a woman. And he said to her, your faith has made you well. And then he goes on. While he's going, he goes down to the um, Roman official's house. And they had, back then, whenever they had funerals and somebody died, they had paid mourners. So the whole house was filled with all these paid mourners. And the scripture says that they were in noisy disorder. And Jesus walks in the house and this is what he said. He said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. They all started laughing at him. You know why? Because they were living in the season of the natural. He didn't live in that season. He lived in God's season. So they're out there, and, and this is crazy. They're living in this season of she's died, she's over, we're mourning, and they're carrying on. He said, look, she's not dead. She's asleep. They began to laugh. said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. She's dead. She's over there. There's no life in her. And he said, no, she's just asleep. Now, let me ask you a question. Who was right, Jesus or the crowd? The crowd was operating in the natural seasons, you know, you draw your last breath, you're dead. Oh, that's horrible, that's terrible. We're going to grieve and mourn. When Jesus attended a funeral, he didn't think about the person that was dead. He was thinking about, Father, do I need to raise this one up? You know why he thought that way? Because he lived in the season of God, not the seasons of man. So he puts them all out of the house, and whenever he, the Scriptures departed, he sent him out of the house, and he went in, and he took the little girl, and he raised her from the dead, gave her back to her daddy. While he's there, two blind men are, son of David, have mercy, have mercy. We need you to have mercy on us, have mercy on us, son of David. And they're just, yeah, 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 yeah. 
And Jesus turns around and he asks him a question. He said, do you believe I am able to do this? Do you believe I am able to do this? And, and they turn around and they said something that was very interesting. And they said, yes, yes, verse 28, yes, Lord. What did they call him? Well, how come they didn't call him that whenever they were asking him to have mercy? They didn't call him Lord at first. Now, think about, y'all think about this. All right, some of y'all looking at me and you're squinting. Okay, think about this. Son of David, have mercy on us. Do you believe I am able to do this? Yes, Lord. They didn't say, yes, son of David. They said, yes, Lord. Lord was a title that they gave to Jesus in response to his word to them. Have mercy on a son of David. Do you believe I am able to do this? Yes, Lord. When they said Lord, what they did was they put themselves under his authority. <laughs> okay, the lights just came on some of y'all. I just saw it. Have mercy on me, son of David, is not putting yourself under authority. Oh, God, please do something. Oh, Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, come. Angels of heaven, I'm in trouble. Anybody ever done that before? You're son of David. And when you Lord, something changes. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. And this is what he said. He said, okay, fine. Then, be it done unto you according to your faith. Okay, you think I'm able to do this? Here you go. He touched their eyes. Be it done unto you according to your faith. See, there was a belief system. Jesus said something to them. He spoke to the fig tree. He spoke to the woman. Now he's speaking to the guys that were blind. He had spoken to the gal who was dead. All this, he's framing everything by words. He's saying something, and whenever he says it, everything comes into agreement with what he is saying because he's living in the season of God. In other words, He's living in the wineskin with the new wine of his presence. Uh, I, I, I'm preparing to preach this today, and so this morning, I, I have, how many of y'all have you version on your Bible? When you get that Bible, did y'all read your Bible verse this morning? Have, have you looked at your Bible verse today? It's interesting. This is, now, I'm preparing to preach this today, okay? Up pops this Bible verse. Crazy, man, just nuts. Here's the Bible verse. And Jesus said, this is Mark 9, 23. And Jesus said to the man, if you can. What happens is he's got this boy who's fallen into the, into the fire and into the water, and he's a lunatic, and the disciples couldn't help him. So he comes and he says, Lord, if you can do anything, please help us. Have pity on us. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Yeah. That pops up, and I'm thought, okay, we're on the right track. What's happening? The Lord is establishing for us the power of faith. And he looks and he says, if you can, what do you mean, if I can? All things are possible to them that believe. So what's happened is, is that we're being challenged right now, and the Lord is stretching us spiritually, and he's taking us on a, on a direction where he's saying to us, I want you to believe, but I've got to take you further into this deal. I've got to move you into the destiny of the Lord. So as he speaks, it happens. Now, here's what's amazing. 
Why is it that a lot of things we're praying for is not taking place in our life? It's because we're begging God to do something that we need to take part in and do ourselves. Somewhere down the line, I got to get skin in the game. Somewhere down the line, I got to get out of my season, which is begging God to do something. And I got to get into the season of the Lord that Jesus walked in that he gave us a new wine skin. And he put new wine in our wineskin. Now we need to operate out of that right wineskin. So fast forward, Acts chapter 6. And I'll just tell you the story. Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7. You really need to read the whole story. First part is the apostles came and said, you know what, we're having, we're having a problem down here. Said, we, you know, these Hellenistic Jews, you know, their widows are not being fed and some of the native Hebrew. And so these widows, and so there was a big skirmish in the church because the widows weren't being fed. So they said, look, it's not good. Here's, here's the apostles, prophets, all these guys. They're, they're, they're spending time with the Lord. And they said, it's not good for us to leave the word of God in prayer in order to wait tables. So choose out from among you seven men of good report. And, and, and you bring them out here. We're going to lay hands on them. So they laid them out there. He said, we need men full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, men of faith. Choose out seven men. Bring them up here. We'll lay hands on them. We'll put them over taking care of the widows and feeding these ladies. And then... We'll give ourselves to the word and prayer. So they chose out these guys. One of them was a man named Stephen. This is word six and seven. There were others that were there. One of them was a man named Stephen. And this is what's so interesting. Stephen is up there, and the scripture says he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's full of wisdom and full of faith. Now, here's a guy. He was not an apostle. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. He was just a man who was chosen, who had the Holy Spirit and had wisdom in his life, and he was chosen to feed the widows. But there's something very interesting in Acts chapter 6 that happens. And here's what's interesting. They chose him. The apostles laid hands on him. He goes out and he's feeding widows. And while he's out there serving these widows and feeding these widows, the Bible says that extraordinary miracles and signs or wonders were taking place through the hands of Philip. Here's our first recorded instance. It wasn't just the apostles doing the supernatural. It was guys out feeding the widows that were doing the supernatural. Now, all of a sudden, Phil, uh, Stephen turns this whole thing upside down. Philip, who was an evangelist, turned Samaria upside down. But here's Stephen as a man who is just waiting tables, giving people food, just a natural, everyday guy who was chosen to make sure that the widows are taken care of. For. Now he's out feeding widows, and while he is feeding widows, he's doing supernatural events. He's healing the sick. He's doing all the stuff. All right, now y'all shaking your head at me. Now listen, y'all going to get this, all right? Everybody say, I'm listening. He didn't have to, but he got to. He didn't, listen, y'all didn't hear what I said. He did not have to, he got to. Now, we're apostles, right? We don't have choice. Paul said this, the signs of true apostles are done among you with all perseverance, with signs, wonders, and miracles following. He looked at the Corinthian church and he said, when I come down there and these apostles show up, I'm not interested in how they preach. I want to see the stuff. I want to see what power they're operating in. Did you know as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, we're, we, we are required to operate in the supernatural. It is not optional. But deacons and those folks out there that are serving and bagging up groceries and carrying them out to the widows, 
They're not required to do that. They get to do it. <laughs> and so people look at me all the time and say, well, no, you're, you're a prophet or you're an apostle. You're supposed to lay hands on the sick. And I said, you're not. And they said, no, you're supposed to. And I said, let's go to Acts chapter. And I give them a good teaching on Acts chapter 6. And I said, listen, Stephen was just a guy just like you and I are. And God, he, get, he got to step in. How did he do it? He got into the season of God. He literally got into the wineskin of the kingdom filled with the new wine because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit, his wineskin carried the new wine, and the new wine that he was pouring out was crazy. So I, I got, this happened yesterday, all right? This happened yesterday. I, I was talking to, to some people. There's a church over here close to, to where y'all are, about 30 miles down the road down here. And uh, they had a serve project yesterday. So some of these people in the church were going out to serve. They were out bagging up groceries at a grocery store and stocking groceries and yada, yada, yada. And so they, they were asking me after, this is after they did their serve event, they were asking me, what's the Lord saying? I said, well, it's interesting you would say that. Still had their serve T-shirt on, you know, the, the, I served. And you. So they, I said, let me talk to you about your little T-shirt here, what you're doing. And they said, well, yeah, sure, man. We were out there. We bagged up groceries and carried them out to people's cars and stocked the shelves. And we were doing, I mean, it was really a lot of fun and great. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Who got healed today? And they looked at me and they said, huh? I said, who got saved out of your serving today? Well, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't know. Did you lay hands on anybody? Anybody get filled with the Holy Spirit? Hit the floor right there in the middle of the, of the shop. I don't know where the grocery store is, but I said, anybody, you know, clean up the floor there, you know? And, and he looked at me and started laughing. I said, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, here's what you don't understand. People are frustrated in churches today because we give them jobs, but we don't give them any power to, to, to carry out the supernatural. I said, you're operating in the spectacular, but you're not operating in supernatural. I mean, big freaking deal. So you go out there and you put a bunch of groceries on the shelf and you carry bags of groceries out to people's car. If you hadn't prayed for them, you ain't done nothing. You might have served them, but you didn't operate in the supernatural. Where's that? And I said, well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 6, here's old, here's old Stephen and, and, Phil, and some of these other guys, you know, uh, Nicanor and all these other guys, you know, they're, they're out there. And not only are they carrying groceries to the widows, but they're healing people along the way and supernaturally. And I said, it's terrible to give somebody a job and don't give them any power to operate in the supernatural in the job. Guys, when we get the new wineskin of Jesus in the kingdom in our life and we get the new wine of the Spirit in us, we get to go sack groceries for folks and at the same time get their hearts healed and their bodies healed and... Uh, does that make sense? You see, the Bible didn't just say, sir, and there are people that are worn out in churches serving because they're not seeing any supernatural events, and it's because they're operating in the season of men. Let's do this and this and this and this, and let's give them a job so they won't go to any other church. That's what they do. Now, look, I've been doing this for 45 years, okay? I know what they teach in seminary. You know what? If we give them something to do, maybe they'll stick around. No. If you show them the stuff, they'll stick around. <laughs> And so what I told him was, I said, here's the deal. And one of the girls looked at me, she said, I knew something was missing out of what we did today. I said, yeah, man, y'all passed up more opportunities to do the miraculous. I mean, God gave you a grocery store. I said, you know what? You could just pray for that can of peas that the next person that touches you gets smacked by the Spirit on the floor. <laughs> buy, buy a can of peas and get filled with the Holy Spirit. How about that one? How about maybe carrying our groceries out to the car and the person's limp and say, hey, listen, why don't we just go and take care of that bum leg you got? What are you talking about? I come up here to get my groceries. I said, yeah, you're going to go home with a new leg too. See, the thing about it is somewhere down the line, we've got to take the opportunities to serve and we've got to make it powerful. What's that got to do with the fig tree? And what's that got to do with praying? What's that got, what's that got to do with this? Well, I'll tell you what it's got to do with the whole deal. 
When Jesus went by, what's the matter? Did I do something? Okay, good. What Jesus, <laughs> help me preach here, Rob. We're going to be all right. It, God, the, the Lord's wanting us to get to the place that what we say and what we do is in the season of the Lord. You see, our season is the kingdom. And so I get on my way of doing life, I get to release the kingdom of God and do the supernatural events of heaven. I can walk by a fig tree and it not be seasoned and say, hey, I'm hungry, give me a fig, and it'll produce. Listen, you, you can't take miracles away from me because I've seen food multiply. I've seen Bibles multiply. I've seen all kind of physical healings. It's been crazy. I've prayed. I have seen skies that were just totally blue and no clouds start raining. Guys, you can't take that stuff away. Why? Because I have seen it with my own eyes. You know what? It wasn't the season to rain in Andrews, Texas, and it's 19 inches of rain on the ground in June and July when it's supposed to be hot, dry, arid, no rain, and it's raining. Why? Because the season of God came over a city that prayed, believed God. You can change the natural seasons that you're walking in by engaging into the kingdom of God, getting your new wine skin filled with the new wine and dumping out the new wine and by the power of prayer, engaging yourself to make a difference. Does that make sense? So quit begging God to do things that you need to get done yourself. Well, how's that got to do with sacking groceries and fig trees and rain? Real easy. If I go out there and I sack somebody's groceries, carry it out and put it in their car, and I say I'm serving them, did I pray for them when I got them to their car? Did I lay hands on them? Did I let them walk away with the sickness of disease? Did I let them walk away in a misery that they had prior to me meeting them? See, I take delight in destroying people's pity parties. I just had the best time. I love destroying misery. I love. You know why? Because I get to release the kingdom of God. And here's the thing, here's the thing I want you to say. That, that I want you to see. I want you to see that God's called us to much more. Just like revival I said earlier. You know what? I can talk about Revival Center, but if I don't win the loss, what's the point? If I'm not out in the street. Listen, I left a guy laying on the floor in a hotel in Longview, Texas here a few years ago. Walked in there, and it just wasn't an ordinary guy. It was a guy at the desk, you know, the clerk. And he just provoked me. He just provoked the fire out of me. You know what he said? Sir, have a blessed day. I said, I think I will. I stepped right into it. He provoked me. You know what he provoked? I just told him, I said, but I said, let me just pray for you. And I leaned across. I mean, there was a counter here. He was here. I just leaned over and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless him. He hit the floor. Boom. Went out like a light. Two people waiting to check out. I looked at him and said, he'll be up after a while. I'd go out and get my truck and drive off. <laughs> he provoked me. So I just released a blessing on him. I released the power of God in his life. I got a lady in Home Depot the other day. This happened about a few months ago. Caught her. She had on a faith T-shirt right across here. I said, hey, you know what your, you know your T-shirt says? She said, yeah. I said, about faith. I said, let me pray for you. I prayed for her. She said, what? she said, "What? get away from me. 
She's weaving right there in Home Depot by the cleaners. You know what I'm saying? And I was laughing because I'm thinking, God, I don't have to wait to get to some church and speak on Sunday. I mean, I can smack them with the season of God in Home Depot right here on Tuesday afternoon. I get to walk into the realm of the kingdom. But you know what? I can't talk about what God's going to do if I'm not going to do what God says I need to do. God's not going to come down here and witness to anybody. You are. God's not going to come down here and touch anybody. You are. When Jesus touched those two blind guys, you know, gave them sight back, Matthew chapter 9, guess who's doing the touching the eyes now? Say, I am. It's not no good for me to pray for somebody's eyes to be healed if I'm not going to go touch them. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking with me? But when you get your new wineskin, I'm going to close my Bible so I'll quit. You get get your new wineskin, you can't put your old wine in it. A few months ago, I had a couple come to me who Trish and I have known for a number of years, and they announced to us they were going to get a divorce. And I looked at him, and I said, well, that's a tragedy. And all of a sudden, I realized something. Their marriage, and, and, and let, me, let me say this, and I want you to kind of track with me because I, I believe that in the kingdom of God, there's different facets. Their marriage was a wineskin. And the wineskin was ruined. And I, I told him, I said, you know, the reason you wineskins, your marriage is ruined because you what put it, what you put in it. I started talking to him about their marriage and the wineskin. I said, "What you need to do is ask God to give you a new wineskin, a new wineskin for your marriage. Get your new marriage wineskin, but this time, put new wine in your wineskin." So, what do you mean? I said, "Well, because when you get your new wineskin for your marriage." This time, in that wineskin, put the new wine stuff. Don't be telling each other how stupid you are. Don't be belittling each other. Don't be running each other down. Don't be defiling one another by other relationships. Don't let yourself be caught in a situation where you're pouring the stuff in this new wineskin. Your wineskin's broken. You need a new one. This time, put the new wine in. Put love, joy, peace, patience Let the new wine of the presence of God conform your marriage into what it needs to be and be an example of Jesus. The lady looked at me and she said, I've never heard it put quite like that. I said, I bet you hadn't. Some of y'all need new wineskins of relationships. Some of you need new wineskins in your job. Some of you need new wineskins in your health. Sometimes we've got to have new wineskins I went in, went in to the doctor just recently. I'm fixing to have to have a sinus surgery and straighten up my nose. I broke a long time ago and all that other stuff. I've been praying. And I'm asking the Lord to heal it because I'm not interested in having sticking stuff up my nose. But if I have to have that, so be it. But while I was in there, the doctor looked at me, and <laughs> I, I didn't say this to him. I could have because he's a believer. I know, I, not that I talked to him about Jesus, but I just got, you're just better on somebody said, man, you know Jesus. I mean, Dr. Walford knows Jesus, doesn't he? He just knows Jesus. 
And he looked at me and he said, hey, you know what? You just got to gotta go forward. He stopped me. He said, blood pressure a little bit high. Won't you just drop about 20 pounds? Well, excuse me, but I kind of like my wine skin. But I'm fixing to get me a new one. Because he told me the new wine is about putting the right stuff in. But it's also taking about taking care of what's there. Does that make sense? Now, he's nice. He just, you know, you just, you might want to drop 20 pounds. I'm thinking, wait a minute, dude. You, more, you know, I mean, he's heavier than I am, but that's beside the point. If I want good health, this is what I got to do. Does that make sense? Now, that leads me to say this. If you want a new way of doing it, if you want a new wine skin, you're going to have to get new wine to fill it up. You got to change what's inside you and what's coming out. You got to take a chance. You got to step out beyond. You see, we can frustrate the church in America by telling them everything they need to do. Or we can just say, hey, listen, we're not going to talk about what we need to do. Now we're going to start doing stuff. Does that make sense? I can walk into the power of that. That was proven yesterday with my money. Yesterday morning, Lord told me, he said, uh, he said, I want you to sow a $100 seed in this person. So I did. It was about 8.30, 9 o'clock yesterday morning. So I did. I sowed a $100 bill. I, had him. I said, I got to sow this seed in you. By 2.30 yesterday afternoon, somebody had already given me $100 to replace the $100 I gave away. Did not know what I did. What I did, I did in secret. She didn't even know. I didn't even tell her. I went and did it. Next thing I know, a guy walks up to me and, and, and was talking to me about a dream. I interpreted a dream. He said, well, I'm going to give you $100. I said, why? He said, well, you talk about that first fruit thing. I'm going to do this first fruit right here. I'm standing out on the street in Hartzell. I'm, not, I'm standing in front of they. I'm praying for this guy, and they had to move me out of the door so somebody could get out of the store. I'm standing right in front of the door of a store, outside on the sidewalk, waving the first fruit like this. Everybody standing there looking at me like, what in the world is he doing? I'm first fruiting. <laughs> but it was interesting. When I sowed the seed by 2.30, the Lord had already replaced it with the first fruit. You see, I, I could have said, well, why don't you just come on down to Hansel Blaze in the morning, you know, and I'll be down there, you know, preaching, and then we'll do first fruits, you know, at about 12.30. 12, 1230. We'll do some first roots after I get through preaching. No, no. Why should I put off an opportunity? So I just first read right there in front of the restaurant. Right there. I mean, just them moving me over, trying to let people in and out the door. I didn't care if I was blocking the door. I mean, I probably shouldn't have, but you know, anybody coming out at the time until I started praying. How many of y'all know that sometimes the devil will try to interrupt you? I just, it didn't bother me at all. I just stepped up and kept waving. But you know, the thing about it is the new wine the new wineskin. Jesus spoke to the fig tree because he was always in season. Here's the challenge. Did you know you're in season? Did you know you're in season? You're, you're always in season. If you're a son or daughter of the Most High God, you're in season. This is your season. You'll never not be out of season. You're always in season. Tim, you're in season because you're in a wineskin of the kingdom. 
So this is what I want to pray for you guys. I want everybody to stand up. And we're going to pray for some other folks in a minute. And how, many, how many of y'all want to be in season, in God's season? How many of y'all want to be in God's season? I, man, I do. It's like, God, I want to be in your season. Lord, I'm asking right now, Father, over every one of us in this room, that, Lord, you would release the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for the season of God to come. Lord, I thank you that we are not conformed to a season of this world. But, Lord, we are conformed to the season of God, the season you called us to. And, Lord, I decree in the name of Jesus that your season, Father, would open opportunities for us. Lord, when you walked by a tree, you demanded fruit because you expected your season to overtake it. When it didn't, it died. God, I don't want to, I don't want to wither. God, I want to flourish. So that means, Lord, I want to be in your season. I want to speak to the mountain and the mountain go. Lord, I want to walk by the blind person that's crying out and say, be it done unto you according to your faith. I, Lord, I want, to, I, I want to be able to say to the woman who's looking for healing for 14 years, hey, today is your day. Be it done unto you according to your faith. I want to say to a child who the world says has died, you're just asleep. You can wake up now. You have life in you. God, I want to live in your season. Lord, there was nothing that was impossible to you. Lord, your word said it. We read it over the people today. God, let that word, Lord, let Mark 11 be so real in us. Nothing would be impossible to us who believe. God, I'm asking you, Lord, place us in your season. Remove us from the seasons of humanity. The seasons created by a woke culture. Seasons created by an immoral culture. Seasons created by an unbelieving culture. Lord, move us out of those seasons. And Lord, let us live in the season of God. And Lord, we ask it today that Lord, we would not ask you to do something that you have already told us to do. Lord, you said... Go be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, we're not going to ask you to raise somebody up. We're going to go take care of it. Lord, we're not going to ask you to restore prayer. We're going to start praying. God, we're not going to ask you to give us a hunger for your word. We're going to start reading our Bible. Lord, we're not going to ask you to do something that we need to be doing ourselves. Lord, today we step up and say, I'm in the season of God. Come on, everybody say it. I'm in the season of God. One more time. I'm in the season of God.